podcast episode about race relations and a disputed presidential election? What could go wrong? At the time of the recording of this episode, the United States is currently preparing for the 2020 presidential election in one of the most polarized political climates in American history. And it doesn't help that the election might not even be decided for as much as a week after election day, since a large proportion of Americans are voting by mail. There's also a significant chance that one candidate will win the election without winning the popular vote. This has happened five times in U.S. history. In 1824, Secretary of State and former Governor of Massachusetts John Quincy Adams defeated Tennessee Senator Andrew Jackson, both Democratic-Republicans, despite losing the popular vote. The race actually had to be decided by the House of Representatives, and a fishy deal allegedly took place between Adams and Speaker of the House Henry Clay, leading to the coinage of the phrase, corrupt bargain. In 1888, Republican Indiana Senator Benjamin Harrison defeated Democratic incumbent President Grover Cleveland, who was born in Caldwell, New Jersey. In 2000, Republican Texas Governor George W. Bush defeated Democratic Vice President and former Tennessee Senator Al Gore in the same manner. And in 2016, Republican New York businessman Donald Trump defeated Democratic Secretary of State and former New York Senator Hillary Clinton, despite losing the popular vote. Now, you may have noticed that I have only given four examples. To talk about the fifth example, I first need to give some crucial background information about the era of Reconstruction. The end of the American Civil War in 1865 was supposed to be a moment of glory for the United States. The 13th Amendment to the Constitution had been ratified, officially abolishing slavery in the nation. Federal troops were sent to the South to emancipate slaves, and President Abraham Lincoln cemented himself as a fervent supporter of voting and property rights for newly freed African Americans. Congress was in the process of drafting the Homestead Acts, which would allow all Americans, including free blacks, to settle out west for very little money. It wouldn't be easy to suddenly integrate this new population into American society, but it would certainly be possible. However, this changed on April 15, 1865, when Lincoln was assassinated by John Wilkes Booth. Lincoln was succeeded by his vice president, Southern Democrat Andrew Johnson. Johnson, who had previously owned slaves, supported racial segregation. He sought to quickly readmit Confederate states to the U.S., allowing the Southern state governments to decide how to handle segregation. That went about as well as you'd expect from states that had literally seceded from the country just to enslave black people. He also allowed state governments to block free blacks from settling out west via the Homestead Acts. Johnson clashed frequently with Congress, which was controlled by the so-called Radical Republicans, who supported equal rights for black Americans and wanted to prevent any Confederate officials from holding office for life. Johnson was even impeached by Congress, just barely being acquitted by a few votes. 
This was a major hit to Johnson's popularity, and he later lost the 1868 Democratic primary to New York Governor Horatio Seymour. Seymour lost the general election to the Republican candidate, the wildly popular U.S. Army General Ulysses S. Grant. With another abolitionist, desegregationist Republican in office, Reconstruction could still be redeemed. However, a shocking decision by party elites in the next election would irreversibly doom Reconstruction and in turn destroy race relations in America for the rest of its history. I'm going to tell you all about it right now on Historia Obscura. Welcome to Historia Obscura. This is the 22nd episode of this podcast, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Special thank you to Patreon subscriber Sodak Zach. If you want to receive a shout-out in every episode, among other benefits, help support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash historiaobscura and becoming a patron. One more thing. Make sure to stick around for a little to hear a message about the sponsor of this episode of Historia Obscura, Anchor. If you want to make your own podcast, you'll want to know everything about how to use Anchor. And remember to vote on November 3rd if you are able to. Picking up where we left off, The presidency of Ulysses S. Grant was certainly a step in the right direction. In my opinion, Grant may actually be the most underrated president in U.S. history. He helped to stabilize the post-war economy, and he did his best to delay the end of Reconstruction that Andrew Johnson had pushed for. In 1870, Grant established the Department of Justice, which continues to exist today. When it was founded, Grant used the DOJ to prosecute members of the Ku Klux Klan, which had been founded by former Confederate officials to terrorize free blacks in the South. Over 3,000 Klansmen were indicted for various crimes, and the only reason more weren't charged was because the DOJ was so inundated with Klan-related charges. By 1871, the Klan was virtually non-existent. Grant oversaw the Enforcement Acts, which sent more federal troops to the South to assist blacks with property ownership and voting. Many northern white teachers, clergymen, and business persons moved to the South to assist with Reconstruction. These anti-segregation northerners would become colloquially known as carpetbaggers. Three major groups took control of Reconstruction. Carpetbaggers, Scalawags, who were white Southern Republicans who supported equal rights for blacks, and freedmen, who were, get this, freedmen. In the 1872 presidential election, the radical Republican Grant faced off against liberal Republican New York Representative Horace Greeley. The influx of radical Republican voters in the South, mostly carpetbaggers and freedmen, gave Grant a significant advantage over Greeley. In addition, Greeley was severely weakened by the death of his wife just days before the election. Grant was easily re-elected, and Greeley died less than a month later from natural causes. 
While Grant's second term was still a prosperous time for free blacks in the South, it was also marred by political corruption. Many liberal Republicans, who had already become disenchanted with Grant's aggressive approach to desegregation, turned their backs on him. While he could have run for a third term in 1876, remember that was still allowed back then, he opted not to, deciding to adhere to George Washington's two-term tradition. In the 1876 Republican primary, three radical Republicans took an early lead, Maine Senator James Blaine, Indiana Senator Oliver Morton, and Secretary of the Treasury Benjamin Bristow. At the Republican National Convention, Blaine failed to obtain a majority of votes, and after several runoff votes, Ohio Governor Rutherford B. Hayes, a liberal Republican, won the nomination. New York Representative William Wheeler was chosen as his running mate. In the Democratic primary, New York Governor Samuel Tilden defeated Indiana Governor Thomas Hendricks and New Jersey Governor Joel Parker, who was born in Freehold, New Jersey. Hendricks was chosen as Tilden's running mate. As a liberal Republican, Hayes supported a gradual end to Reconstruction. Tilden, a Northern Democrat, supported a quicker, albeit still gradual, end to the policy, while his Southern Democratic political allies supported an immediate end to it. Tilden also had a very aggressive anti-corruption platform, a drain-the-swamp platform, if you will, brought about by the corruption in Grant's last term. Since Grant had devastated the Ku Klux Klan, new paramilitary groups, such as the Red Shirts and White League, were founded to keep carpetbaggers, scalawags, and freedmen from voting for Hayes, but none of them ever came close to the size or influence of the Klan. In the 1876 presidential election, Samuel Tilden won the popular vote, but the Electoral College result was heavily disputed. As expected, Tilden carried most of the Deep South, as well as the mid-Atlantic states of New York, New Jersey, Delaware, and Maryland. Hayes, meanwhile, won most of New England, the Midwest, and the West. However, four states had disputed results. Louisiana with 8 electoral votes, South Carolina with 7, Florida with 4, and Oregon with 1. Louisiana had been hit the hardest by the voter intimidation practices of white supremacists, which disproportionately skewed the results in favor of Tilden. In South Carolina, meanwhile, 101% of eligible voters had their votes counted. This impossibility led to accusations by both parties of ballot stuffing and voter fraud. Florida, which had one of the highest illiteracy rates at the time, used party symbols to facilitate voting for those who couldn't read. Since many illiterate voters in Florida were free blacks, the Florida Democratic Party used Abraham Lincoln's face as its symbol, despite him not having any connection to the party, so as to sway black voters who were fond of Lincoln. In Oregon, Republican elector John Watts was replaced with Democratic elector C.A. Cronin by Oregon's Democratic governor, Lafayette Grover, for allegedly holding political office, which was illegal at the time for presidential electors. 
These four disputed states constituted 20 disputed electoral votes, and each party sent 20 of their own electors to the National Convention. Without the disputed states, Tilden led Hayes 184 electoral votes to 165 electoral votes, meaning that Hayes would need to win all 20 electoral votes to win the election. In January of 1877, Congress formed the Electoral Commission to resolve the dispute. While the 15-member commission was supposed to have a partisan balance, independent Illinois Senator David Davis declined to serve and was replaced by an extra Republican. Shockingly, the Republican-dominated commission awarded all 20 electoral votes to Hayes. Congress declared Hayes the winner of the election, with 185 electoral votes to Tilden's 184. To this day, this remains the smallest electoral vote margin by which a U.S. president has been elected. Many Democrats were outraged by the commission's partisan decision and felt that Tilden had been cheated by Congress. The rules of the commission allowed the results to be overturned if both houses of Congress voted to do so, but the Democrats only controlled the Senate at the time, so this wasn't possible. In a last-ditch effort to prevent Hayes from winning, the Democrats began a filibuster in the House of Representatives. This wasn't a surefire way to overturn the decision, but if the filibuster had lasted beyond Inauguration Day in March, it would have left the nation without a president. A few days before Inauguration Day, leaders of both parties met at Wormley's Hotel in Washington, D.C. to discuss an end to the dispute. Ultimately, in what is known as the Compromise of 1877, the Democrats agreed to end the filibuster and concede the election to Hayes. In exchange, the federal government would end Reconstruction and pull all federal troops out of the South. In addition, Republican leaders agreed not to interfere with the decisions of Southern Democratic state governments. On March 5, 1877, Rutherford B. Hayes was sworn in as the 19th President of the United States. That same day, all federal troops were withdrawn from the South. Immediately, the Redeemer faction of Democrats rose to power in the South, instituting Jim Crow laws. Almost all carpetbaggers and scalawags were forced to flee to the North, while freedmen living in the South were frequently harassed, assaulted, and even lynched. The Ku Klux Klan returned with a vengeance in 1915, and it has existed in some capacity ever since. Black Republicans were threatened if they tried to vote, and restrictive poll taxes and literacy tests were put in place to block many from voting altogether. Because of this, the entire Deep South would consistently vote Democrat until the 1970s, only breaking this party loyalty to vote for Strom Thurmond's Dixiecrat Party in 1948. Many racist policies of this time, including redlining and job discrimination, are a direct cause of many of the socioeconomic issues that black Americans face today. I'll go on record and say that ending Reconstruction that quickly was by far the worst decision in American history. But hey, at least a guy who most people haven't ever heard of got to be president. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode of Historia Obscura. I know the upcoming election is causing a lot of stress for some folks, but hey, at least it could be worse. If you want to suggest an episode of Historia Obscura, send me a voice message at anchor.fm slash historiaobscura slash message. Feel free to leave your name and location, and if I like your idea, I'll make an episode of it and give you credit. Additionally, if you want to support this podcast, go to patreon.com slash historiaobscura and become a patron. And of course, I can't go without once again thanking this episode's sponsor, Anchor. They are by far the easiest way to make a podcast, so if you want to make your own, go to anchor.fm. With that said, this is Jack from Historia Obscura, signing off, but not for long.